So I got my Bob Ross shirt. I'll have to wear it. The Bob Ross of programming. Yeah, that's what Maggie calls me. There are no mistakes in life, only happy birds or something like that. No accidents. That's right. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Beam Radio. I am joined, as always, by a fabulous panel of co-hosts. We have Bruce Tate. Hi, from Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hey, Bruce. We've got Lars Vickman. Hello. Hi, Lars. And Josh Adams. Hey. Welcome, Josh, as well as Alex Kutmos. Howdy, howdy. Hey, Alex. So we've got everybody on board and ready to get started. And we actually have a question from our process mailbox on Twitter that we're excited to dig into before we dive into the main topic for today. But first, a big thank you and shout out and a word from our sponsor, Groxio. Bruce, anything new with Groxio that you want to tell our listeners? Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Our, our professional trainings, our corporate-based trainings are way, way up. and And they're up mainly with Java developers learning to be Elixir developers. That's, that's been a lot of fun for us. So the other thing that's happening is that we are going to slow down a little bit and spend a little time in the NX community. And that's pretty exciting because we, we get an opportunity to work with Sean Moriarty, one of the co-founders of the project. And we're going to contribute some of the, some of the work as um, free videos for the ecosystem and for um, for notebooks, and you should see the first one or two kind of trickle out um, over, you know, by the time that this podcast is released. And so we're working on live books and NX and all these tiny little spinoffs that have happened in the last like five or six months. It's it's really crazy. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. I know a lot of our listeners are really excited to dig into NX, and I'm sure that they will be pretty pumped to check out your new content. All right, so on to our process mailbox. As you guys know, we love to receive questions from our listeners. We want you guys to tweet at us at beamradio1. You can use the hashtag process mailbox and just ask us anything. Ask us questions about Elixir, the Beam, whatever your heart desires, and we will answer them on the air and give you a free t-shirt and the t-shirts are pretty cool. So we recommend that you reach out. So our question for today is from Tyler A. Young. And the question asks, what makes a really great onboarding experience for new hires on a medium to large Elixir code base? I'm really excited for this question because it talks about really adoption, right? New people having to onboard into Elixir. So what do you guys think? I think a huge element is time. That So, so often what we tend to do as development teams is bring somebody on when we're already underwater due to schedules. And that makes a pretty miserable experience. But Elixir is such a beautiful language that stacks well and layers so well. When you have the time to actually make that transition kind of kind of smoothly and you get enough time to explore and learn um, both, the, both the language and the, the individual um, ins and outs of the project that you'll be working on, everything gets a lot smoother and a whole lot more enjoyable. I think the, so the question focuses on Elixir onboarding and I'm not sure how much it differs from other languages other than I find Elixir onboarding slightly easier in some ways, mostly due to being uh, functional programming and sort of 
the the limited scope you need to keep in your head while working with any given piece. But what I typically find helps the most is just sitting down and spending time with the person being onboarded, typically pairing, but also just working through and talking through the architecture concepts, picking out whatever whatever parts you think they need the most for what they're going to be doing at the beginning and uh, sort of branching out from there. But pairing and spending uh, face-to-face or uh, collaborative, edit- collaborative editing time uh, would be my sort of top recommendation. But set up guides, tests, all of that stuff helps to some extent. Yeah, I'll give a big plus one to the pairing. I think some of the most successful experiences I've had onboarding new team members or even like fully brand new teams into Elixir is just by sitting together, writing code together and working really closely together to solve problems. And I think because Elixir has such a nice gentle learning curve and is so readable and so eloquent, um, it's really fun to work on it with someone new and kind of walk them through what you've built and how it all fits together. But Lars, I was also thinking at first, um, totally agreeing with you. Like, I don't know how much it differs to onboard somebody into a new Elixir code base versus a new Ruby code base or Python or Go or what have you. But I'm now wondering, like, if I could sort of do it again, starting right now, onboarding someone brand new into Elixir for the first time in a medium to large code base, I would be on the lookout for smaller tasks that let Elixir really shine so that they could start to get excited right away. Uh, I think about how cool it is. And that might not be the kind of thing that you can toss someone like, you know, in their first day, in their first week, but where are some opportunities for them to write really beautiful code that leverages pattern matching and nice clean pipes? Like, first of all, you can do that anywhere. You don't have to look hard for those opportunities. Where are some opportunities for them to do something that lets concurrency really shine or where they'll be really leaning on telemetry and instrumenting their code, just looking for these things that like, I think we all love about Elixir and putting that in front of somebody so that they can sort of fall in love with it too. Uh, one thing that I, will, that I will add that's specific to Elixir, I think the the documentation and uh, like um, introspection tools that are available to us like Xref are really, really great. And for any time that I hop into a new code base, uh, I always usually run mixed docs, see what that looks like. And hopefully there's some good function and module docs and uh, some type specs there. So that really helps. Um, and then Xref is usually helpful if I need to see, you know, how how's this module being invoked, you know, kind of what's the layout of this project, you know, kind of where are the hotspots, uh, you know, and, and kind of get a, a feel for the land that way. So I think those are, those are kind of specific to, uh, to Elixir. So I'll, uh, I'll uh, tip my hat to Elixir there for the developer experience. I think just granular pull requests and tests is like the most, and linked to a ticketing system. I think that's like the most important thing for onboarding anyone. If you have an actual decent sized project, because then there's this whole repository they can go mine for how did somebody do this similar thing to this code base that I don't really know where things are laid out yet. Yeah, I'll agree with everything that was said, um, except one thing that, that learning Elixir is not like learning Python or Ruby because there's so much extra depth. There's, there's so much extra that, that you have to absorb. Typically when somebody comes into Elixir, they're also learning concurrent programming, functional programming, distributed programming. And 
And there's also so much surface area to the language when you consider 30 years of, of Erlang um, plus, right? And um, so I think that one of the things that you have to do is find ways to limit the scope of what somebody has to absorb to solve individual tasks. And, and often that means you have to have excellent layering in your code base. You have to have extracted a core so that somebody can, can spend a little bit of time feeling comfortable in pipeland before they get into withland and um, you know those those kinds of things. Yeah, and that that definitely speaks to onboarding new people into Elixir that haven't worked with it before. I wonder if this question asker is looking for that or if they're just hiring some Elixirists and want to want to give them a good onboarding experience. I don't actually know. But I know when I've onboarded two companies, I mostly felt like I could dive in and get started pretty quickly as long as the task is in in some either in some corner where I can just learn that corner, not too much domain to learn. Or if it's sort of overarching and widely reaching, but doesn't actually require understanding anything about the domain. So one, one company I started working with, the first thing I did was uh, make Credo pass <laughs> because they weren't using Credo uh, because the code base was probably older than Credo. And they were wanting to get to that and they wanted me to have something to learn the code base on. And that was an interesting thing because it let me dive into a ton of parts of the code base, but I didn't have to understand much of it because I just had to adjust a bunch of syntax and um, slight slight changes in sort of semantics. But yeah, that was an interesting way of doing it. I've also just sat down with a project and sort of scoped it through for just the parts that I need for this particular piece of contract work. That's also an interesting approach to, to getting introduced to a code base. So from my perspective as someone who already knows Elixir, I don't know what's the best sort of onboarding experience to give me. Some docs, good, a working test suite, that's, that increases my confidence in anything I do, I guess. Yeah, I feel like, you know, and it's different for everybody too, depending on what kind of learner you are. I feel like, of course I want all the docs and I, of course I want all the best, most comprehensive test coverage if I have to dive into a new code base. But for me, I never really understand it until I actually get my hands dirty and have to start building something and then kind of seeing what problems I run into and how the pieces connect together. But I kind of want to pick up on something that you were saying, Lars, about Credo and then the other tools, Alex, that you were mentioning earlier. I was thinking to myself, um, while we've been chatting, like what was the last big code base I had to onboard into? And of course it was a Golang code base that was kind of a mess, no offense to any of its historical authors, you know, just a big crafty legacy Golang app. And it was, I don't know that I ever really felt like I finished onboarding onto it in the year and a half or so that we maintained it before sunsetting it. And so I was thinking to myself, what did I find so difficult or painful about that experience? And does Elixir have a solution for it? And I think the answer is often when I'm working in Go, I feel that my hands are tied because I can't explore the code the way I want to. I never really got super comfortable in the Go debugger because you can't really execute code that easily. It's like a very particular way that you're empowered to introspect into code. There's no interactive console, like there's no IEX equivalent or anything like that. 
um, you know, just the regular development workflow of like making a little change, seeing how it uh, works out, playing around with things in the console um, and then kind of going back and doing it again is something that I found much harder to get into the swing of and go. And I think that is in part because of the tooling. So again, for me, it just really comes down to like being able to get your hands dirty and being able to try things out and play around. And Elixir gives you so many opportunities to deep dive into code, to, to play with code, to tweak it, to see what changes that creates, you know, everything from IEX to Credo and the other tools that Alex, you were mentioning to like the beam inspector where you can look at your whole supervision tree and like right click and kill a process and watch things come alive or not. There's just so many ways to examine your code and understand how it works. So I think it's interesting that that both the last two people to speak were, were talking about other languages, right? And so Lars, for you from the perspective of you don't know if if um, if the if the original question was was onboarding to other languages and Sophie, you talking about a Golang um, application. But I think that this is pro this is a problem as we start to get into the steeper part of an Elixir adoption curve that we need to solve cold if Elixir is going to take the next step. That, that we need to be able to bring on people from vastly different ecosystems with different tool bases, with different design philosophies. One of the cool things about Elixir in Erlang is its unique perspective for self-healing software, for solving problems, that it's not about types, that it's about OTP and let it crash. But that's also one of the drawbacks too. We have to bring people into that umbrella and teach people not just like the core base Elixir that you get in the first two or three months, but the OTP concepts, the LIBU concepts, so, you know, what's a reducer, how does that, that kind of thing work? And um, this, is, this is a problem that if we don't solve, then, then Elixir is in a world of hurt in terms of developer economics and being able to take on projects that are done by sunsetting Java developers and, and Ruby developers and, and actually take those to the next level. Is this the perfect segue into today's topic, perhaps? So our main host for today is Lars. Do you want to introduce us to this afternoon's topic and let us know what you want to talk about? Sure. So I call the topic, what more could Elixir possibly need, which is mostly a bit of tongue in cheek. So Elixir already has most of what I consider sort of a mature server and backend language has to have. Like primarily it needs a web framework, but sort of the testing story is good. The documentation story is good. The tooling story is good. The release and deployment story is pretty good. Um, there's a mature database uh, abstraction that speaks to all the major databases that we typically see for, for general use. And is like, we also have some, some unique stuff. And I think most languages these days need some unique stuff. Uh, so we have the actor model for one thing. Uh, in a good implementation. We have uh, massive concurrency and parallelism in a high-level language. And we have things like channels and live view that sort of push the actor model very far to the edge of the server and almost into the browser. 
So we have some sort of unique quirky stuff. We have nerves, we have things like scenic, membrane framework. There are things that are pushing beyond what I think a lot of generic ecosystems have and into something particular and interesting. But are there things that we are sort of entirely lacking or do we have blind spots where there are things we probably should have that we don't? So one thing that came up, uh, that was probably a year back or more, in the Elixir ecosystem survey that went out, uh, Brian Cardarella commented that it seems like Elixir would need a CMS and or an e-commerce system, which I think if, if you look around, uh, most languages don't have that, honestly. Uh, it's like PHP has <laughs> many of them. Uh, and then there are there are efforts in mo there are efforts in most languages, but there are very few few mature solutions. But I don't doubt that a CMS would drive interest, and an e-commerce would system would probably drive interest. But it's not necessarily part of sort of the. I'm not convinced that it's part of the Elixir culture to sort of build that thing because it's not necessarily an, an interesting technical problem. It's much, much more just building a lot of stuff over a long period of time to produce something that, that solves a fairly vague and amorphous problem. And we have fantastic building blocks to do that. But there are so many questions on just those two. Like, can you build a successful CMS in 2021? Or is that race already finished? And should we or should we be building something entirely different like the future of distributed computing or so i want to sort of open the floor to see if if there are things that you guys think are missing or if that's not the sort of approach we should take at all and i wonder if we can frame the first part of this conversation you know to me you're using the the metaphor of building a lot right and there's two things that you can do within the building one one is work on the foundation right and another one is to work on the windows and doors right interop to get access to these other things basically the nx approach versus the foundational approach which is more like the mixed tools and and the um and the primitives to do um kind of this nerves type thing so Index is windows and doors and nerves is working on the foundation. So I wonder if we, if we can talk a little bit about, um, you know, as, as we talk about the types of extensions that are the, the directions that Alyssa could go, like for example, um, both CMS um, and e-commerce could be a windows and doors type situation, right? To build effective, like, um, you know, for example, I'm, I'm, with Groxio, we're looking at the, the Vika Lite framework, which is a plotting framework for notebooks, right? And and the way that that problem is solved is with Jose's you know, traditional brilliance. He basically says, well, what I really need is an interface to render things in live books and a, a, um, a way to, um, and then an implementation of that render in, in a wrapper and a conceptual abstraction in Elixir of what a plot is. I don't actually have to figure out how to render it. Um, somebody else has already done that work. 
So are you saying we should look into this whole Bragful and uh, ePHP thing where where we could run WordPress on Erlang? I don't know about WordPress, but I do know about windows and doors, right? So I think that um, you know, using the NX metaphor again, um, it would be silly for us to um, explore the idea of large, massive, mutable data structures in Elixir, right? And NX is, is about tensors. It's about um, rendering, um, rendering really multi-dimensional mutable arrays. I mean, that's what it is, right? So rather than building more foundation, we built a, um, we built a door. Yeah. I wonder what a Windows and Doors approach to building something like a CMS will look like. If that's just like Elixir sticking to the back end and providing sort of a headless CMS, or is it, does it mean integrating with some of the modern and actively used CMSs out there? And this is where I think we might run into sort of a cultural friction with the Elixir community where, so Vega Lite and NX are interesting choices or like interesting interesting cases for interrupt with other communities because there is no way our community could maintain uh, what's the what's the Google thing called? Well, the, that whole uh, GPU <laughs> side of the equation. There, there's just no way. There are no no resources for that. But when it comes to sort of building web stuff, that's that's in our sweet spot to some extent, and a lot of the modern CMS technology you'll see is Node, Node.js. And I wouldn't say everyone in Elixir land hates Node and JavaScript, but I would say that there, there's some friction there for sure. And I think most people would like to avoid bringing sort of a heavy amount of interrupt with that into getting rid getting rid of the javascript via live view was not so that i would have this budget to spend on another server piece written in javascript <laughs> right i mean that's that's the that's the windows or doors approach right it's like you, you push that that big massive window into the infrastructure and um suddenly i mean that's another example of a way that um that we use existing infrastructure to completely and run, you know, there's there's the there's effectively the foundation approach that's Lumen, right? Um, and then there's the the end run approach that's Live View. Um, you know, why build more foundation when you can build a a door? Yeah, I mean, personally, I don't think we'll ever see a CMS in uh, in Elixir or Lang, just because I think what made I, I could be wrong here, but I think what made WordPress, you know, popular and and really mainstream was the the ecosystem around WordPress, right? Because there were a couple of other um, CMS systems in PHP. What was it? Uh, Drupal was another one, but I don't think those really caught on, uh, just because the lack of the the ecosystem, right? Like for for a lot of bloggers and and people that want to run their own shop, they can they can download and install a, a WordPress plugin and. And go on their merry way, and I I don't see that happening happening in Elixir, given that it is a niche language, and so I don't think that you would have this whole marketplace of uh, you know Elixir CMS plugins in order to get that kind of mainstream adoption. I, I could be wrong. Um, I, I, I I agree. 
I see, I see a space for like something akin to the headless CMS, like because it's an easy small domain and we can just own it and not have to run that node service Lars is talking about. Um, but independently of that, like put on your product owner hat, your marketing site should be in WordPress because you're going to hand it to a marketing team and they know WordPress. Like, so we shouldn't be building the giant, the giant big WordPress competitive CMS because there's not the infrastructure for, for getting stuff done that people that are actually building products need. Yeah, and I'd add the, um, the idea that we're actually moving in the direction of more windows and doors with the, um, with the live view component direction, right? It's um, you know, that, that, whole, that whole stack uh, of, of Surface plus, plus live view is about wrapping the concepts, um, whether it's you know, any kind of text concept in a way that you can rapidly consume them and compose with them. And so I think that the difference between object-oriented languages and procedural languages in general is that functional languages have more powerful tools for composition. And that's what a CMS is. It's, it's composition for, um, you know, for web-based systems. So if we sort of agree that a CMS is not necessarily in Elixir's future or it's not even really needed or going to be sort of the thing that drives adoption, what, what is it to sort of rephrase Lars's initial question? What is it that Elixir is missing, if anything, that will I think maybe help explode adoption? I think the e-commerce system thing makes a lot more sense, and I will give you my entire justification. Um, you make more money if your e-commerce system goes fast and has reliable latency, and Elixir does. So I think building out the tool set necessary to, to actually power an e-commerce system gives a, a, an operational advantage to a company that just has a faster e-com layer. Um, so I think there is a future there. I agree with that. I think that, that that'll happen. And um, you know, I think that there is a financial justification and reward system for that to happen. Um, I do think that, that there is um, not necessarily a feature that Elixir use, uh, needs, but a, um, an attribute that we need that we need in people that develop APIs. And, and that's um, kind of the ability to focus on, um, on your promising imperfect technologies already in the ecosystem. Uh, so you know, one of the things that Phoenix has done very well is kind of accumulate the critical mass of features partially through investing um, through private interests, investing in um, in Phoenix developers, but we need to see that more broadly across the Elixir ecosystem, the ability to focus on, on you know, for, for example, I mentioned NX, but it's still a baby, right? There is so much that needs to happen, like the whole Panda scene, the whole, you know, the, the whole notebook scene needs, um, needs um, it, it has the right abstractions, but, but it's not as feature rich as it needs to be. Um, the whole, I mean, there's there's such a, a small number of contributors to the Axon library that it's you know pretty pretty vulnerable. It has that that low milk truck factor. Um, so I think that I would love to see, rather than um, dividing focus within the Elixir community, um, you know, if if you're looking to do something promising within Elixir, um, find something that that needs your particular skill set. And and jump on and and um, and kind of um, help that happen. 
Yeah, and I think that's that's also a good thing to point out. And I wanted to, I actually wanted to touch on this. When you bring up a conversation like this, uh, there is always the risk of people that have all have already done very much and are doing so much to feel like you're saying, but what more do can you do for us? And that's that's not the idea at all. Uh, what I think is that, or rather what I want to wake up with this kind of conversation is I've heard the CMS discussion a few times and I'm not sure whether it will happen. I'm trying my hand at some CMS efforts. We'll see how those pan out. But I think if we want to see cool things that drive adoption in Elixir, like, let's be very clear. The core team, the Phoenix team, the Nerves team, they've done plenty. They're doing plenty. Uh, the rest is up to the community. And if you put enough work in and uh, do something cool enough, you get to put team after your project name, <laughs> essentially. I'm a little bit curious, the e-commerce thought, for me, an e-commerce system almost implies an, a CMS structure inside of it. E-commerce is almost, to me, a superset of a CMS. It's, there are some very purpose-built parts to e-commerce with the commerce part, essentially, but there's also typically so much overlap with a CMS feature set. So I wonder, can you build an e-commerce system that's that's without that sort of extremely dynamic kind of CMS-C vibe? Somebody just needs to build a page parts library that's like the smallest possible dumb CMS thing and call it done and not go any further. I was actually going to bring this up uh, while we were talking about CMSs. I, I remember seeing, I think it was a conference talk a few years back about a, like kind of just what you're mentioning, Lars and, and Josh, where it's like a very light uh, CMS. It's called the uh, thesis. It looks like the, the repository has been archived. Uh, it was active a few months ago, but it sounds like it's very much that where you can go in, change some copy here and there. So very, very lightweight. Uh, CMS where you're just uh, you're just changing text here and there and maybe some very lightweight code so you don't get like a huge um, you know admin panel like uh, Drupal or, or WordPress but very very lightweight CMS so you can you can change content kind of on the fly so could yeah, you maybe, spell that maybe, out uh, I think it's just thesis um, yeah I'll, I'll post the link in the in the show notes but yeah maybe maybe this has already been done and it's archived and we don't need to touch this problem anymore. And I wonder if, you know, this is something like a dependency injection container when, you know, whenever a new Java developer uh, approaches Elixir, they need a new dependency injection container, right? Hey, we need Spring for Elixir, right? Or, you know, if, if so if, if the nature of the problem is something that you'll see a lot of archived and incomplete <laughs> CMSs. Yeah, there, there's definitely the sense sort of, so CMS is a common entry level for inexperienced developers where you want to set up a website or you want to build a sort of member system or something like that where you have logins and you can create stuff. And a CMS is a very good entry point there, especially when you just have to install it and configure it and make it work. And then you can slightly modify it. 
but that's not typically how Elixir is used. And that's not the typical uh, audience of Elixir because Elixir is mostly already fairly hardcore devs. Uh, and I mean, I mean hardcore devs in the sense of are already doing mostly programming where uh, I've definitely worked with and been a, a CMS focused developer, which mostly works with sort of configuration and templating and visuals and all of that. And there's no shade on, on that sector. It's, I don't love the tools you need to use for it, but um, there, there's a certain difference of what kind of programming you're used to doing. And Elixir seems to speak to people that are willing to build more from scratch. It's like, yeah, we have a web framework. We don't need, that's sort of the highest abstraction we want. Um, and a CMS is a different thing. But I think it would also open a much, much wider potential funnel for inexperienced people to go into Elixir. Then whether whether you can get sort of critical mass adoption for CMS these days is, is a very open question. If we just had a library that was a shared place for people to collaborate on what the data structure for like page parts type CMS might be, but none of the persistence or any of the other stuff, and then maybe some components for administrative stuff so you could build an admin very quickly with a live view. I think that would be a very nice sweet spot for such a thing. That's about as far as in as I'd be willing to go because yeah, like I just need to store a data structure and show it. And a CMS that's based around like HTML was is completely useless to me because mobile applications can't do anything with that. That's why I think that Surface probably is a, is a great starting point for capturing a language for components of, of that type. Yes, 100% agree. What's page parts? Uh, just think medium where you just add a list of parts to a page and they're of different types and each of the different types has a different editor widget. So like a two up image might be a page part type. Oh, okay. And so the reason I think that surface is such a good mix here is that there's already some, a lot of pretty heavy thinking around, um, how do you frame like some of the CSS templates, some of the JavaScriptless CSS templates um, for for use with Surface. Oh, in addition, adding actions, you know, eventing to those things um, in in modes like an edit mode and and so on and so forth. So, if we assume that we're not building a CMS and we're not, we're maybe building an e-commerce solution. Um, either for this e-commerce solution, where does the sort of resources come from, or is there something else we should be pouring resources into? So one of the most important talks that uh, that Jose ever gave was um, Elixir is done, right? And I, I think it was like about four years ago. It was at the um, Elixir Conf. Was it in Bellevue, maybe? Um, but but he essentially signaled to the community that it was time to contribute on projects like that, right? And um, before that talk, people were hesitant to invest. In, in the language itself, um, because the, the foundation, the perception was, even though the API has been pretty static, the perception was that it could be changed out from under them. I was actually at that ElixirConf. And I was actually, I was actually very happy to hear that because in a lot of other like ecosystems, I feel like 
the language becomes uh, you know, very, very important. Everyone's tracking what new language feature there is. Every time there's like a new piece of syntax, uh, you know, time to rewrite some part of the code base to leverage that new syntax. And uh, I, that, that really vibed with me very well because that, that isn't the most interesting part of the language for me. Uh, like the runtime is very interesting. And then what you could do with the language is very interesting, but constantly changing the syntax was not very, uh, was not very interesting for me. So I, that, that very much um, aligned with me. And I, I, that's one of the things that keeps me here. I'm not always chasing what the latest language uh, changes. It's just what, you know, what can I do with this language? What are these new amazing libraries that are coming out, NERS? NX, uh, you know, live book, uh, live dashboard. Like these, these are all amazing things that you're doing with the language and the language isn't always changing out from underneath you. Partially because of that signal, right? Yeah, I think that that sense of having the language be done in the same sense that we maybe thought that Python was done and then they made Python 3. Um, that's reassuring. Um, I know sort of version updates for PHP. That was a heck of a thing. Four, five, six, seven, huge sweeping changes. Uh, fairly backwards compatible, and like you could you can make it work. But they were changing how the language, what what the language was supposed to be. And now you can write PHP that looks like Java. Um, but some languages have carved out very specific niches such as Go. So Go has hit CLI tools very hard because static, statically compiled, uh, fairly performant, low-level sort of tooling. Go does that quite well. <clears throat> but also cloud-native infrastructure, like a lot of that tooling is, is written in Go. Is that, are any of these types of niches something Elixir should be moving into? Or what is the Elixir niche? Or what niches do you see Elixir sort of occupying? I feel like web apps, sure. That, that's a wide niche though. Yeah, so I think that that there's a typing discussion um, on here. And, and one of the things that I think is brilliant, you know, Chris, who was on last week, one of the, the brilliant things about his work is that he gets some of the guarantees that are based on a typing system out of something that is much more dynamic. I think that one of the things that's interesting about Elixir is that, um, is that it's dynamic and it doesn't have the early friction associated with a with a um, this kind of static typing model and it's just enough of a hybrid with the type specs and and um, in those types of things and in some of the static tooling to be able to give you some of the benefits so that that said um, I don't think that we should try to push strongly into the niche created for um, you know statically typed languages but I do think that it's probably, um, it's probably in our future to provide some pretty robust support for languages that do, like Gleam, right? So you could see um, some of the some of the tooling or some of the the problem spaces that can benefit by heavy language tooling. I could see like the 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 same type of of um, of embracing those resources. That, that you see for tensors and, and X. I was gonna say, actually, I think 
I think the niche that, Elix that I see Elixir going is, you know, possibly the same niche that, you know, Ruby and Ruby on Rails had for, you know, for the, the web scene, you know, years back was a lot of companies now are using it as their first language where they're building their startup. They have, you know, tremendous, uh, you know, velocity, they're getting features out the door at, you know, an incredible pace, and they're able to launch a business with it. And, you know, whereas you'd eventually hit a, like a ceiling with Ruby, uh, I think the ceiling with with Elixir is you know, way, way higher. Maybe I'm a little biased on that one, but I think the ceiling is way, way higher. And then it provides you the escape hatches you need to kind of fill in the holes that, you know, the, that the runtime does not provide for you, right? So if you need something that runs near native speed, you have Ziggler, you got uh, Rustler. Uh, I think there's also Nimbler, if you want to write Nim. Um, so tons of uh, Lur uh, bindings for, for natively compiled uh, languages. So I think yeah, maybe that's the niche is just a, a language and a runtime that provides you the tools you need to get your business off the ground in record time. Yeah, the Beam is a, a phenomenal coordination platform or orchestration platform. My, my thing when I was first getting into Elixir and people were like, well, do you really want to try this new language? Because what if it goes away? Like I had already established that it was sufficient for me to build really cool stuff that I found it difficult to build in other languages. Um, so I didn't really care. Like it had enough. So nobody could take it away from me, right? If, the, if it didn't have this giant community, I still could build stuff in it. And it was great. Yeah, and I wonder if we're going to see. So everybody talks about this this kind of, this idea of programming 2.0 and machine learning. And I wonder if, if we're going to see. So right now we're seeing that exactly what you said, Josh, that, that Elixir is a great language for coordination. And some of that coordination is around data, right? Um, the difference is that in, in Elixir, data flows. And in, in these machine learning environments, data is more this, this static, mutable um, thing, right? And so um, I wonder if we're going to get to the point where you kind of, you can, you can have data sources in Elixir because of this coordination. If you can have data manipulation because of all of the, the great work that Jose um, and his team have done on Broadway, where you can kind of move and coordinate based on data. Um, if you can, you know, with with the, you know, kind of the the rabbit in MQ and all of that, um, all of that kind of distributed coordination that Sophie was involved in in, in that conference, um, and then the presentation that we're seeing with LiveView and LiveBook and all of this kind of live thing. If you're going to see that kind of data manipulation and wrangling. And then if you're going to fold in just enough decision-making capability based on that data with things like NX, where you know maybe you don't create all of the data models in Elixir, but maybe you can use the models that are created in other, in other frameworks like, like the Google one, or maybe, maybe you could just have just enough of that capability where we could start to see pairings that we don't expect, right? Like, like the, the NERVS team using Livebook as, um, to, to explore the, the documentation for their individual projects. Um, and, and so I really think it's an exciting time as, an, as a coordination um, platform as we're folding in yet one more important capability that's making decisions based on data. Yeah, I've been working with, a, so consulting for a startup that definitely uses Elixir for their web application, for their API, for their coordination, and then 
the data backend stuff is all Python. Um, so the ML all happens in Python, but Elixir serves everything else. And that seems to be working great. And I think Nginx might make the sort of execution side of that better. So if you don't have to pass it out to Python for the decision-making, that might be quite beneficial. Um, or if you uh, can just like lock into that compiler support with with PyTorch, right? It's it's um, you know you already have that that backend for NX that's kind of cool, right? Yeah. But I definitely want to echo what what Alex is saying, and I think if you're if you're a technical founder or starting a startup and you don't want to go sort of the no code hype approach, but you actually want to do code because you think that's maybe maybe a simpler path path or a better path. I really do feel sort of that that's where I see the pedal stack being absolutely absurd, where it really gets you off the ground super quick. So I took like my vacation project. I think I took it from uh, zero to dog food ready, where I should probably start running it with my family as soon as I deploy it in essentially 40 hours of work. And I mean, you don't know the scope of this app, but <laughs> that's, uh, it was it was a decent chunk. I mean, it's, it's image uploads, it's videos. You can see a lot of the work I did, but not all of it on some of the live streams I did for the photo app series. And like, yeah, velocity is about the word for it. You can really, really move quickly with that stack and i don't think you'll you're saying the heel, ceiling is much higher and i think that's an understatement like you will not find that ceiling essentially so for certain uses yeah if you talk to discord like they they've made this article where they're like yeah we're gonna use rust for this part and that they built an if in rust for something very very uh, heavily hit but otherwise they've taken elixir to to an absurd scale and whatsapp with erlang same same deal it's an absurd scale your startup will like if you have that problem where like no we exhausted the the capacity of the beam that's not a problem that's success <laughs> so yeah i i think it has that it already sort of has that niche where it's taking over or, or taking up sort of Ruby and Rails's role as a startup darling where where you just you start in this language is highly productive and it can take you quite far. But with Elixir, I don't see I don't see you hitting that ceiling. I I'm sure that there are places where you'll find like, okay, maybe we need to sort of change how we use the pedal stack, or maybe we need to switch out some part of the pedal stack along the way. I mean, that's the software development and growing. Uh, you, you probably will have to change things over time. But I don't think that technology choice will ever, ever lock you in and, or limit you for most of all web software as a service sort of efforts. It's, it's absurdly capable in that sense. So it's a wide niche, but I guess, I guess it's a good one. 
Yeah, for sure. And that, that's actually something that I explored in um, one of my blog series, I think it was uh, OTP as the core of your application, where you kind of take that naive approach of implementing your, your CRUD application, just hitting the database every time for reads and writes. And I take some metrics with the live dashboard that way. And then I re-architect the, the app to show you that, hey, maybe use a registry and uh, gen servers and kind of leverage the actor model, see how far it gets you. And you get to see that that delta of okay, here is my naive uh, uh, CRUD application with you know hitting the database, and here's my naive CRUD app using the actor model. And I mean the performance gains are huge there. So to your yeah, just like you said, Lars, where it's like once you hit that point where you've you've cut your you know your network round trips by using the the actor model and and you and leveraging concurrency and stuff like that. Like I don't see there being a lot of languages that'll help you out at that point, anyways. I mean at that point you're you're writing bespoke stuff because you're trying to optimize for your particular use case. And there's probably nothing out there anyways for you. Um, but I'm actually going to toss a question to Bruce because he's doing a lot of these enterprise trainings. Uh, without giving away any, any information as to your clients or anything like that, what, what does the demographic look like? Is it a lot of startups, medium, large scale? You know, what's, what's that kind of look like? And maybe that's kind of an indicator for where, where Elixir is going. Definitely middle to large companies. I mean, one one that I can't talk about that everybody's heard of, and um, and and two that are that are basically medium sized, you know, with with capitalizations, um, you know, under under hundred million, but still um, with with teams that are are relatively large. Um, so that's that's kind of the the it's not quite my sweet spot yet. My my kind of my wheelhouse, but um, but that's something that I think that the Elixir community in general has to solve if we're going to make the, the next step. And with with some of the work that Sophie and I have done with the with the Live View book, we've we've been able to kind of break down some of the some of the tools that a Java developer can use to be successful in layering their application. And that's really the, the key to, to team education and growth, right? Because with, with a layering approach, once you get past software of a particular size, it is all based on the abstraction lines that you draw. How much complexity do you show at any given time? And if you can't limit that to like a, like a small subset, then with, with these intermediate and large company problems, you're dead. So that's, that's where the education emphasis has to shift. Um, that's why Elixir is such a powerful problem. And um, that's kind of why Groxio is positioned the way that they are. Yeah, I think that's super interesting that it's picking up interest in with companies of those sizes. And I'm not super surprised because it seems like it would would have the potential to solve a lot of problems in those spaces. Personally, I'm very, I'm typically focused on small to medium-sized teams, but typically small teams, even if the org is medium-sized. So like if I'm dealing with five people, I'm in my sweet spot. And that's Elixir I, sweet spot, right? Yeah, I find that extremely compelling as a case for Elixir. And that means self-starting sort of uh, tech founders and startup makers and like if you want to build your SaaS, I absolutely cannot recommend anything higher. And I'm 
playing around a lot with sort of bringing SQLite into the mix rather than Postgres and just cutting, cutting, cutting what you would actually need to, to get a product out there. And like <laughs> the, the cheap, the cheap running of highly performant systems that you can get with just one node with SQLite and some like light stream for replication. I think it's an absurd little stack for building a product and you can always transition to to sort of bigger scale and you can always do tendency to to split that out but yeah i think there's a niche and i think there's more work that could be done for for that like uh i i guess the the common term is bootstrap uh founding i think it has some odd connotations but you can't actually pull yourself up by the bootstraps. That's a, oh yeah, <laughs> this hyperbole. But I think there's I think there's more that could be done there, and I think we have a great foundation for that. That's not mirrored in any other ecosystem. Like Rails is sort of trying, but how's that actor model coming along? I I don't think it's that compelling in the same way, and I don't think you'll get the same advantages. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? It's so you said the key thing, like small teams of five, right? With a functional programming language, a team of five developers that that really know what they're doing can really do some damage to a problem, and and that's that's why um, that's why so many intermediate and large companies are looking toward Elixir, right? It's it's that the it's some of the easy problems sure become hard. But some of the really hard problems that are company breakers become really, really easy. And that's, that's really fundamentally um, what, what people are looking um, at Elixir to do. Yeah, I mean, a real world example that I've, I've seen was um, we had a node app at a health IT company that I was at. And the fact that the runtime you know, if you block the event loop, the you know that's it. You're 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 hosed in in Node, right? And that was that was a serious problem for us, where we were getting all these messages from all these uh, various uh, health providers, HL7 messages, and we could only process one at a time. And processing one at a time meant you know reaching out to a database and seeing what to do with that message. And th there was a lot of overhead in those messages, and trying to architect around these fundamental flaws of the runtime was was hindering the business at that point. I mean, it was, it, we were either spinning up tons and tons of machines to kind of get around this problem. We were, uh, you know, trying to, you know, using async and await and trying to get around these problems, but it was just so fragile that it was, it was impacting the business. And uh, I mean, it, it's times like that where you see that, you know, the tech matters in those kinds of scenarios quite a bit, because if it's, if it's blocking the business, that's, that's, uh, that's no good. And that particular challenge is essentially non-existent on the beam just due to preempting which is strange it, it sounds like an exaggeration but with node like node is super fast very convenient it's a language almost everyone knows there's good reasons to use it for some things but you also will always as far as i've understood it from from what i've heard of developing for it you will always be raising for that like yielding to that event loop. And that's just not an issue with Elixir because it was already developed for soft real time and a 
strong low latency guarantee it's absurd how how much sort of strong foundation you get by starting with solving all those difficult problems like concurrency parallelism and low latency and there's more to it it's the reliability it's the resilience it's the runtime introspection and runtime like handling problems at runtime so yeah it's an absurdly powerful foundation to build on and i think elixir adds sort of the the ruby take on top of that which is really productive programming fairly high abstraction level bam here we have a solid web framework go and uh, yeah i don't think there's anything quite like it so maybe we already do have our niche i just want more of them I think that's a great note to end it on. Thank you, Lars, for prompting this great conversation. We got into a lot of really interesting stuff that I think really reflects a lot of where the community is at right now, a lot of what people are actively thinking about. I'll also say thank you to our sponsor, Graxia, which you guys know is Career Fuel for Programmers. And I'll remind our listeners to ask us questions on Twitter at BeamRadio1, hashtag Process Mailbox. Ask us all your Elixir and Beam questions. We will answer them on air. You'll win a free t-shirt. It's a very cool t-shirt. You're going to love it. We hope to hear from you. And thanks again to the rest of our panel of hosts today. See you guys next time. I'm mostly yeah. impressed that Sophie can do a retake on an end note like that. That's <laughs> wild. I, I had the question. I was like, yeah, do we need more like niches or do we need more kind of things that we're really good at? But by the end of it, I was like, I think we're, I think we're doing all right. I think we're doing okay. <laughs> <laughs>